You are listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a show covering the hometown Milwaukee Brewers as we analyze the roster, report on the latest rumors, and discuss their quest to bring the World Series trophy to Milwaukee for the first time. Here are your hosts, Peter and David Go. Welcome, everyone, to the podcast, the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your host, Peter Go, alongside David. David, I know you're coming to us from the uh, the bustling metropolis of, of where again? Galpolis, Ohio. Uh, the, um, the 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 recording tour is taking another stop. Um, it was actually a year ago, if you remember, when the Brewers traded for Willie Adames. We did an emergency podcast with my headphones in a hotel bathroom in that's right Jackson, Tennessee. So now we come here, just right on the border of Ohio and West Virginia. Um, not too much here, though. I will have to uh, admit that. There's one former major leaguer that's from here named David Roberts. Not, not the Dave Roberts that we know of, but, um, but he, he, he is from here. So uh, that was one of the first things I had to look up when I, when I was here. Yeah, naturally. Yeah, everybody goes into a new city. They obviously have to learn that first. Uh, that, that is a funny, funny that you bring up. I forgot about that uh, emergency episode recorded, like you said, in the bathroom of a hotel. Today you are here uh, live on Zoom uh, in an actual hotel room sitting at the desk. So pretty pretty outstanding setup. Uh, for any of you out there who's wondering if a podcast is doable, uh, it's pretty much doable just about anywhere you can have somewhat of a silence or a quiet room. So we make it happen one way or the other. Hopefully the Brewers pull off a trade like that again. Um, sure wouldn't hurt the Brewers who are obviously off to a good start. Uh, Brewers had a great week this week. Uh, winning two out of three against the Braves as well as the Nationals. So four and two on the homestand. Um, I know we recorded the podcast before last Sunday's game a while back here, but Brewers did win the finale against the Marlins last Sunday. So winning five of their last seven. And the Brewers are 26 and 15, which is best in the National League Central. Three games lead uh, behind, or excuse me, ahead of the St. Louis Cardinals, and actually the sixth best team in baseball as well, which I was actually kind of surprised to see. I was taking a look at MLB standings. The Brewers are six behind the Yankees, Dodgers, Padres, who they will be heading to uh, next week, Mets and Astros. So Brewers off to a great start. Um, David, any transactions of note? Uh, of course, I know we've got a big one here, but any transactions to note from this week? Just a couple minor ones. Um, Trevor Kelly came up, earned the win in the Brewers comeback win against the Braves, got sent back down already. Kutch came back from uh, his, his battle with COVID. Keston came back after uh, JC Mejia was suspended, which we'll talk about a little bit more in detail in a little bit. Yandel Gustave went to the IL uh, and Brent Suter actually um, became a father again or had another kid. I don't know. I guess he didn't have the kid. Um, his, his wife gave birth would be the more correct term, uh, to a son named Layton. So congratulations to him and his wife. Uh, but just a couple minor ones in addition to the JC Mejia suspension and then the Freddie Peralta injury, which happened on Sunday right now, as we're recording, don't really have too many details on that injury. Right shoulder tightness is what he left with described it as being some tightness more in the back of his shoulder. Uh, I, I'm not sure that that's the most concerning area of the shoulder, but there definitely can be some injuries that come from the back of the shoulder. 
So the, we are waiting for an MRI. Freddie said that uh, that they are going to take an MRI on it and see, kind of go from there. Yeah, certainly never, never good, of course, when one of your starters goes on, or I guess um, is likely to go on the injured list anytime as well. You're not sure what it is in the, the shoulder or elbow. Um, Freddie, you were mentioning, David, is actually the leader thus far in, in F war into the into the 2022 season amongst, of course, guys like Eric Lauer, Corbin Burns, and Brandon Woodruff. So certainly he'll be missed uh, for whatever extent he's gone. Hopefully it is just a brief stint on the IL and then back to business for fastball Freddie um, Peralta off, off to a, a, another solid year this year, like I said, currently leading the Brewers rotation in F war. So we'll certainly keep you covered as far as any additional news. I would imagine we'll hear more early into the week. Um, so yeah, kind of a, a, a spattering of transactions, um, some more important than others this week. It's kind of one other thing I wanted to mention back on uh, like what I was talking about earlier about the Brewers being 26 and 15 and sitting atop the NL Central. Adam McKelpy put out a tweet uh, prior to Sunday's game that at 26 and 14, the Brewers are actually off to their best 40 game start to a season ever, uh, which is kind of surprising, but uh, I guess maybe not also at the same time. What was actually more surprising is that uh, in 2014, 2009, and 2007, they had won 25 of their first 40 games. And then in 2019, 24 wins, 2018, 23 wins, and 2001, they had 23 wins. Every year, uh, 2014, 09, 7, uh, 19, 18, 01. So I think six years, their six best starts to the season, basically roughly a quarter into the season. None of those seasons, they actually made the playoffs. So kind of just one of those obscure stats, you know, you can chalk that up to uh, coincidence. I don't know if you want to try to find any uh, logic behind or correlation behind those seasons, but just kind of an interesting tweet that Adam McHelvey put out there. I'm certainly not worried about the Brewers missing the playoffs this year, but it is interesting to note that even though the Brewers are playing well, I don't necessarily feel like all you know Brewers are fi- firing on all cylinders necessarily, but they're all off to a great start and already have that three-game lead in the NL Central. So anything else to that, David, that you would add before we move on to our next topic? I think that is part of a narrative shift that the Brewers are no longer a team that is kind of lowly and has no expectations. Like think back to 2014, it felt like the Brewers were on fire to start the year and they went 25 and 15 and the Brewers are sitting in a better spot now than they were at that point. It, it kind of goes to show that the Brewers are a much better team. There are finally expectations for the Brewers so that when they don't start off well, you get a little bit concerned. Uh, and even think back to last year when the Brewers, it seemed like everything went right for them pretty much throughout the year. They were only 500 at this point in the year last year. So it's not like the Brewers got off to a really hot start. And this year, some weaker opponents, definitely. But 26 and 14, even against some weaker opponents, you're still taking care of business. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, expectations certainly there, and Brewers are a far different team from 2014. Uh, even last year, I think the Brewers are a better team as well. So, anyways, our another interesting uh, topic, David, that you brought up here, transitioning into the Brewers' starting rotation um, beyond just the news of Freddie Peralta, is Eric Lauer. Eric Lauer threw seven shutout innings against the Nationals, a dandy of an outing from him. He has been terrific. I remember at the start of the year, or actually even in the offseason, we were talking about expectations from the rotation and Eric Lauer. And a lot of the underlying stats from last year actually had him 
overperform last year based on, uh, you know, strikeouts per nine, walks per nines, batting average on balls and plays, et cetera, those stats like that. And we were both saying, yeah, we're probably going to see some regression from, from Lauer. Uh, maybe he is going to be more of a, a middle of the rotation guy like we had perhaps expected his ceiling to be. But he's actually improved significantly from last year. I know it's only seven starts in, but seven starts in, he's uh, four and one with a 2.16 ERA uh, across over 40 innings thus far. And we've seen huge improvements from both his walks per nine and strikeouts per nine, which we know correlate a lot uh, both to ERA and FIP and just overall success as well. So Eric Lauer certainly has taken the next step um, thus far in the season. Is Eric Lauer going to be a top three starter for the Brewers this year? Do you see him uh, joining the ranks of Corbin Burns and perhaps Freddie Peralta or Brandon Woodruff? I mean, is it time to, to start thinking about Eric Lauer being the Brewers' second or third best starter at this point? I think he definitely belongs in that conversation right now. Just looking at some of the the numbers that he's allowed as far as K rate, walk rate, and even some of the batted balls that he's allowed – Lauer and Woodruff actually have very similar profiles. They Their arsenals are quite different. Woodruff throws 60% fastballs. Lauer is, is lower than that um, by a good margin, mixes up a little bit more with sliders, curveballs, cutters. And Lauer doesn't, doesn't quite come with that 96-97 like Woodruff does. Being from the left side, going to be a little bit different. But Lauer's been elite this year at getting strikeouts, at limiting walks. Uh, really those two skills. And then as far as batted balls, he actually has allowed more hard hit balls than most pitchers have. But when you are that good at limiting walks and at striking out guys, you're able to get away with that. That's kind of the uh, the Brandon Woodruff formula for success. Think about last year, the amount of home runs that Woodruff gave up. That was really the the one the one kind of thing that, that plagued him from having maybe a Cy Young season was uh, the home run ball for Woodruff and allowing those hard hit balls. Lauer kind of reminds me of uh, that Brandon Woodruff style of pitching, even if maybe watching him, you don't quite see that. Uh, And really the results have been quite similar uh, for Lauer. Really, if you take away uh, the the one bad Woodruff outing against the Cubs, that was quite uncharacteristic of him. Woodruff off to a little bit of a slow start, um, but Eric Lauer's kind of picking that up. Who would I rather have the rest of the year? I would probably take Woodruff, uh, but just the fact that we're having this conversation between the two. And that's not even mentioning Freddie Peralta, who maybe even is, is worse than, uh, than Woodruff. We don't know with injuries. I think Lauer is more than capable of stepping into that, that third spot in the rotation. You talk about maybe the best third starter in the league in Eric Lauer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like we talked about with, with Woodruff last year, losing the number one spot in the rotation to Corbin Burns at his Cy Young year last year, we, Brandon Woodruff had, the best year of all time as a starting pitcher, most likely in franchise history. If you take out Corbin Burns 2022 season, which of course happened to occur the same year. I mean, something similar like that. I'm not saying that necessarily Eric Lauer is going to have, you know, uh, an ERA around two for the whole season, but I mean, he could, he could be um, have an ACE level season this year and certainly has pitched like it thus far. And and really that we don't see a lot of signs of uh, a lot of, excuse me, a lot of signs showing that anything is going to change. So I'm I'm very confident with him in the number three spot Um, does add some diversity to the Brewers rotation as well, coming from the left side 
um, on the mound. So I certainly is an asset. We'll have to, uh, I know every once in a while we get that tweet from Ken Rosenthal about the Brewers losing the trade with San Diego. Of course, Brewers sending Zach Davies, not, not Kyle Davies, uh, just to be clear, Zach Davies and Trent Grisham to San Diego for Luis Urias and Eric Lauer. And that, that first year was terrible to watch. Of course, Grisham had the best year of his career. Davies was uh, was very solid and then eventually got traded for Yu Darvish as well. And Urias and Lauer pretty much did nothing in 2020. So looking like a very lopsided trade, I remember thinking, man, I, I may have even said this to you. I think I said, this is Stone's biggest mistake. Like he has been so good, but he made a big mistake on this one. And uh, and then we wait, we wait two years now and Urias is really a budding star, I would say. Uh, yeah, I'm very confident he's going to be at a minimum, an average everyday player in the infield. And Eric Lauer at, at least is a four, uh, but has been pitching more like a one or two and could easily settle into a three spot. So David Stearns in the Brewers front office at it again. Um, certainly, uh, even if David, uh, Luis Urias and Eric Lauer retired today, the Brewers would have won that trade. Um, so certainly Brewers front office continues to win. Um, and so certainly... Eric Lauer has been very good for the Brewers. Another recent newcomer to the Brewers, Hunter Renfro, uh, of course, acquired from the Boston Red Sox via trade over the offseason. Brewers sending over Jackie Bradley Jr., among other assets as well, to Boston for what they were hoping to be a dependable offensive right fielder in Hunter Renfro. And he has been just that. Um, he's actually started off the year better uh, than the year he had last year with Boston. And it's really been a rock in the Brewers lineup. Hitting 268 with a 307 on base percentage, good for a 131 OPS plus. Again, 100 being league average, 821 OPS. And Renfro also tied for the lead in the Brewers with nine home runs. He's tied with Rowdy Telez and Willie Adames, uh, which if you think about the Brewers only being a quarter way of the season, Brewers have three three guys, Renfro, Adames, uh, and Telez, all on track for you know 35 to 40 home runs. So we'll see what if that actually comes to fruition. But... Brewers certainly have been hitting the ball out of the ballpark a fair amount this year, especially given the, the talks around the deadened baseball. So, David, what can you say about Hunter Run's success and the impact that he's had uh, on the Brewers lineup? Again, kind of being that dependable guy in the middle of the order, we see him starting to pick up um, and really start adding a lot of value for the Brewers offense. So what can you say about the success that Hunter Renfro's had and, and his impact on the Brewers? My first thought actually about Renfro and the way he's been playing lately goes back to a quote that Stearns gave, I think it was within the last week, talking about the Adames trade, actually. Basically said, we don't make trades and try to win the trade. We make trades to improve our ball club. And if we win the trade, that's fine. I mean, we, we want the players to succeed for the other organizations. Um, and whether or not we win the trade is really doesn't matter a whole lot to him. And you look at the Renfro and the JVJ trade, JVJ hitting 193 uh, for Boston, which is a... Uh, is actually an improvement um, by about 30 points from last year, but clearly not the the dependable guy, even with the great the great glove that JBJ has, not an offensive performer at any mean, by any means. Um, Renfro has really picked it up. We're talking about how Lauer is really good at limiting walks, striking out a lot of guys, but he does allow a lot of hard contact. Hunter, Hunter Renfro kind of fits that mold from a hitter perspective in that he strikes out a lot, he doesn't walk a whole lot, but then he hits the ball really hard. And the hard hit, hard hits kind of make up for 
the the strikeout rate and the walk rate. And as long as he's able to continually do that, uh, he's going to be a pretty good performer for the Brewers. He's been solid defensively as well. And he's the kind of hitter that when he gets hot, he's going to go on a stretch where he maybe hits a home run every two, three games and really is making hard contact and having really good at-bats and the guy that you don't want to face in the lineup. I think the Brewers may have kind of seen that last year with the Braves where Jock Peterson gets hot in the series and almost wins the series for the Braves. Having a guy like Renfro who has the potential to do that in a postseason series could be a big piece come October and definitely is carrying the Brewers lineup right now. Rowdy, a little bit of a slump after he really burst onto the the national scene and kind of gained some recognition for a couple of really hot weeks. Adame's had that same kind of same stretch. Renfro is now picking it up for the Brewers. Yeah, certainly helping the Brewers offense while Adame's, of course, on the injured list. And like you said, Telez cooling off a little bit, which was expected. Uh, but again, Renfro is off to a great start. Nine home runs, uh, really pretty much on all, uh, whatever stat you look at. Um, so far has improved upon last year. Hopefully he's able to continue that as well and be that, like you said, rock in the middle of the lineup who's going to give you some power and can get hot and also help the Brewers in the playoffs. We all know the Brewers lost that series against the Braves. Like you said, one, Jock Peterson, but two, the Brewers just didn't score enough runs. Uh, can't win a game without scoring any runs, and and they obviously struggled with that. So I, the addition to Hunter Renfro made a lot of sense. Uh, like you said, as far as winning the trade, you know, whether JBJ bursts on and has an amazing year with Boston or has the year he's having, doesn't really impact the Brewers at this point. Obviously, he's no longer with the team, but looking like another good move from from the Brewers front office. I, I think at this point, if you're the any other team and the Brewers offer you a trade, <laughs> you just know it's probably not a good deal for you. At some point, you got to realize maybe David Stearns knows a little bit more than I do because sure has an outstanding uh, a track record. Um, in both both in, in trades and even some of the acquisitions that he made, um, even some guys that uh, didn't seem to be anybody's on anyone's radar, um, even a guy like Jace Peterson, um, who the Brewers have acquired, and this now turned into a pretty decent piece to have off the bench. So uh, we'll stop we'll stop uh, praising Stearns in the front office, um, but again, Hunter Renfro has been influential in the Brewers' success this year, and hopefully he'll continue to do so. Switching topics here a little bit um, on the news of J.C. Mejia's suspension. 80 games for him. He joins Pedro Severino as a second brewer uh, suspended this year. I believe, David, you mentioned six players already suspended this year in all baseball for PEDs. Uh, of course, Severino did release a statement after the fact and, and shared that the reason for the banned substance was uh, some drug that he had taken uh, for infertility that uh, unfortunately was not permitted and resulted in him getting Suspended. J.C. Mejia, not aware that he's released any statement, but he was suspended for Stanozolol. Lol. Uh, I am I'm not in the pharmaceutical industry, so not exactly sure how to pronounce that, but looks like a kind of your run-of-the-mill typical uh, testosterone-boosting drug. Um, like I said, not really a statement from Mejia. Seems like, I, I don't know if it's one of those he didn't know that he, that wasn't allowed. Seems a little bit surprising. Um, but what do you think about this, David? I, I mean, we've seen course, Ryan Braun, Alex Rodriguez, those were really high-profile um, suspensions that we saw go on. Uh, lately, we haven't had um, too many huge-profile ones. I, I'm thinking back to Robinson Cano probably being the last of that. Uh, it's been more minor players. Uh, but 
80 games for, for Severino and Mejia. Is that too long of a suspension? Is that too short? Um, what do you think? I, I know that Bud Selig obviously has, when he, back in his time dealing with this, faced a lot of backlash on how he handled it. Where do you see it today? It's not something that's talked about as much, but where do you see today's suspension rules, everything around that um, impact in the game, and where do you think that should be? I think it's reasonable to uh, to have an 80-game suspension. They've gradually increased it throughout the years. It was 50 for a while, and then went up to 80 in around, I think it was 2017. So having that suspension of 80 games, definitely a big deterrent, is definitely going to prevent guys from using PEDs. I think we've seen it under control a little bit more now. Um, there's a little bit of a uh, a kind of a when they when they started testing, there was there was um, a lot of guys that were testing positive in like 05, 06, 07 timeframe when the, the penalties were only about 15 to 30 games, kind of a slap on the wrist, and then gradually got more harsh. But even we saw in the Ryan Braun era. There were uh, there were a good number in that same boat as him, Nelson Cruz, Johnny Peralta, Carlos Ruiz, Yasmani Grandal, Bartolo, Melky Cabrera, Manny Ramirez. So it's, it's not like it never happened um, back in that time, but I think having the eighty games maybe is is a is a good number because we're seeing it gradually decrease. While also at the same time, there there are some times where players take supplements and unknowingly they include things that are banned and to be to have to sit out for say a year or, or longer I think might be a little bit too harsh on that uh, especially with the appeal process that is at least seems to be very uh, inefficient and typically unsuccessful yeah I'd agree I, I think generally speaking 80 games is a pretty fair amount of time uh, certainly you feel for Pedro Severino like you said he fits that scenario of somebody who mistakenly was unaware of the rules and and now pays the price uh, because of his ignorance on that. I think as a player, you've got to be more educated on that because, one, it's costing him a couple million dollars to be sitting out half a game in the playoffs, but also for the team. The Brewers certainly um, would be in a better spot had he not had the suspension and missed half the year. So um, I think players need to be a little bit more educated. He's not the first player, of course, for that to happen where – wasn't aware of the rules, but at the same time, it's really not a valid excuse when you're in the major leagues. And, and this is just the reality that that's part of the game. So I think as a player, you've got to be more educated on that, but I, I wouldn't necessarily change the time. Like you said, I, it used to be too short, 15 games, 30 games is not enough to me, even 50. Um, when we're really talking about ideally doing our best to, to try to get this out of the game completely. So I would say I'm happy, happy where it is um, currently. We've kind of got a couple of uh, random topics today. I, I'm not sure how I segue PED suspensions to our next topic here on uh, on bobbleheads and off-band giveaways for the rest of the year. So I, I will just take a hard right here. David, our, our final topic of the day. I actually forgot to introduce our, our trivia question today. So we'll introduce the trivia question at the end of the podcast as a random player of the day. But uh, switching topics, like I said, taking a hard right here on bobbleheads. Of course, today being... Willie Adame's bobblehead day. Unfortunately, he, of course, on the injured list. But which bobblehead or other all-fan giveaway are you most looking forward to this year? I know I saw the Brandon Woodruff bobblehead, uh, which is a solid bobblehead. Uh, we got a couple other ones. The Giannis bobblehead, uh, which is an exciting one. What are you looking forward to most this year? 
Yeah, I, I would say I am looking forward to uh, the Giannis bobblehead. I feel like that's a little bit of a, a cop-out answer just because it's so unique. Um, as far as the, the giveaways, I'm excited for the Hawaiian shirt theme night. Um, I'm a big Hawaiian shirt fan. And, and the bobblehead specifically, the Brandon Woodruff bobblehead, um, it, it, it's, it's kind of like Brandon Woodruff. Um, nothing like jumps out at you when you look at, at the bobblehead, but just a really solid bobblehead all around. I like that they mixed up the uniforms for the different bobbleheads too. So you got Woodruff wearing the Navy road uniform with the yellow hat. Then you got um, Corbin Burns wearing the home cream uniform. You got Freddie in the pinstripes. Kind of that that variance of, of the uniforms in the bobblehead. It, it's the details that make it for me. And, and I really like the Brandon Woodruff one. Yeah, I think they. I think bobblehead. The bobbleheads this year are, are pretty good. Of course, Adames today, uh, Sunday, May twenty second. We've got Brandon Woodruff next month, end of the month. Corbin Burns. Then we got Freddie Peralta and Omar Narvaez in July, and then the uh, long-awaited Giannis Antetokounmpo bobblehead. I, I'm definitely gonna have to get my hands on one of those. It is a, a pretty cool one. On uh, September eleventh, that one uh, for Giannis. I agree. I would say that I'm probably most excited for the Giannis bobblehead. I'll. I'll I won't uh, take that as my answer. I'll, I'll slightly make a, a slight change. June 7th, Brewers bark in the park. I'm going to be that uh, that person bringing their dog to the Brewer game. I, I didn't even know that was a thing until this year. I believe it was. I believe it has been a thing uh, previously, almost for sure, uh, at American Family Field. So for those that aren't aware, June 7th, you can actually buy a ticket package. Yes, you actually have to pay for a ticket for your dog, which is very extra. Um, but I guess it's a, a one-time thing. Just think about the experience that your dog's going to have, something that they can't they can't have anywhere else. So bringing my dog to the Brewer game, June 7th at Brewer's Bark and Park, you do get a free dog toy in exchange for the $40 ticket that you're paying for your dog to come into the game. So great value there. Uh, part of the proceeds do go to the Humane Society, so there is that benefit of that as well. But uh, for those dog lovers out there, um, Bark in the Park, June 7th. David, you were going to share something? Yeah. Um, as, now that we're talking about dogs in relation to the Brewers, uh, I was just thinking, is Hank the dog still alive? I haven't heard about I, Hank the dog in a long time. Um, I, I mean, I know that was eight years ago now that he was found as a stray dog. I don't want to be yeah. that guy and be like, he has to be dead right now. But... <laughs> I kind of feel like we would know more about him if he was still alive. And that was eight, uh, eight human years, uh, just to be clear, not, not eight dog years. Uh, but yes, uh, that was, yeah, Ed Cedar uh, finding Hank the dog. Wow, it's crazy. That was eight years ago. I, I know there was, there were, uh, I guess you could call it conspiracies, I guess, if we're talking uh -huh. about Hank the dog here, uh, uh, that he had passed away and that there was a different dog in his replacement. I, I want to say a couple of years back. Because, yeah, we really haven't uh, seen Hank the dog in a long time. Of course, we've got the Hank the dog mascot. But, um, yeah, that's probably a fair – I think that's a fair assumption that uh, brewers are not wanting to shatter any dreams of young brewer fans' hearts who love Hank the dog to share those news. So they're probably just not really leaving him out to the park because, yeah, he's, it's been a while since he's there. I guess June 7th, if he's not there, I think that's a, a fair assumption that uh, – He's no longer with us because that would be the game for him to be at. So that should probably tell us one way or the other, but I think it's probably a safe assumption at this time that uh, he's probably no longer with us. So unless he just re retired from, silence, retired from public life, maybe. 
that's <laughs> that's true. He he moved he moved back to he moved back to Arizona uh, for for retirement. Yeah, be with his his uh his family and friends. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I don't know if he really had a choice to move from Arizona <laughs> to Milwaukee, so maybe he just ran away and moved down to Arizona back himself. <laughs> I wouldn't uh, I I wouldn't blame if he did that that either. Um, so yes, Bark in the Park, June seventh, Hank the Dog. Maybe we'll be there, but uh, he may not uh, may may not be with us any longer. Well, I guess we'll probably have a final say in a few weeks uh, on that one. So there we have it again. Brewers have a couple couple good bobbleheads coming up. Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, and of course the Giannis bobblehead in September. Um, so with that, David, let's transition into our trivia question. This was actually kind of an interesting one. I, I sent you this one. Uh, during the week for you Brewer fans out there that have the, the Brewers uh, flip flip calendar, the daily uh, trivia question calendar, that is. Uh, the trivia question earlier this week uh, was something to the tune of what MLB player was the first to hit 400 home runs before the age of 30. So I'll, I'll pause here for a second to let you think about your guess. Again, the question being, what MLB player was the first to hit 400 home runs before the age of 30? Of course, not a whole lot of players uh, in the history of baseball to have hit 400 home runs, much less before the age of 30. So uh, again, I, I did ask David the question beforehand uh, earlier this week. So we both know the answer, but it was kind of a funny one. I was, I was combing through in my head, trying to come up with the answer. Uh, of course, you think about some of the top home run hitters, Barry Bonds, Hank Aaron. Hank Aaron, I know, spread out those home runs a lot throughout his career, had a really long career. Um, so that wasn't necessarily who I uh, was guessing. Bonds, Kind of similar as well. Didn't have, uh, if I recall, didn't have quite as much power um, in his early days as well. Um, and so my guess was Alex Rodriguez. David, your guess, Ken Griffey Jr., which is actually did, didn't even come on my radar, was a great guess. Uh, David guessing Griffey and then actually did some research uh, and found out. Again, I'm giving you guys time to, to think on the trivia question. So uh, be quick here because the, the answer is coming momentarily as I uh, ramble through this story. But David guessed Ken Griffey Jr. only to look up and find out that Ken Griffey Jr. had actually hit 398 home runs before the age of 30. So Griffey is not the correct answer. I actually did get David on this one. Correct answer being Alex Rodriguez, first player to hit 400 home runs before the age of 30. Again, Ken Griffey Jr. hitting 398 home runs before the age of 30. So just thought it was a, a kind of a, I guess, ironic or funny trivia question that uh, we came so close to that, just two home runs shy before the age of 30. But I, I didn't even realize, David, I was mentioning this to you, that Ken Griffey Jr. hit as many home runs as he did. I, I certainly obviously knew him as a guy who had power, but forgot that he's really one of the greatest of all time when it came to hitting home runs. Yeah, Griffey being one of, uh, one of the best power hitters of all time. I feel like the Brewers actually, considering like how, how much of a home run hitting team they've been throughout their history, don't have like a whole lot of power hitters that are really up there in terms of home runs uh, besides Henry Aaron, of course, up towards the top of the list. Um, but even Ryan Braun being the franchise leader at about 350 is pretty, pretty low, relatively speaking. Uh, but we're going to transition into the random player of the day today. That is a relief pitcher currently with the Atlanta Braves, former Brewer Tyler Thornburg. Thornburg spent 2012 to 2016 with the Brewers, five years at a 2.87 ERA, actually. Very respectable. 219 innings. 
Best year came in 2016 when he struck out 90 batters in 67 innings, good for a 2.15 ERA, 13 saves, took over that closer role later in the year. And actually it went eight and five. So he must have had a good year if he had eight wins as a reliever. The Brewers shipped him off to Boston after that year. Got back Travis Shaw and uh, Thornburg then really wasn't able to, to have a healthy year with Boston and wasn't able to put things together. Missed 2017 with injury. Then in two years with Boston, had an ERA over six. A couple appearances for Cincinnati in 2020 within the NL Central there. And then over to Atlanta now, eight and a third innings so far, 4.32 ERA. So reestablishing himself as a major league reliever. Glad to see that he's back on a major league mound. He had Tommy John last year. I think he had thoracic outlet syndrome. Previously had some other shoulder on uh, elbow inju- injuries uh, with Boston. So good to see Thornburg back with the Brewers. Um, and he had a, a decent run as a Brewers reliever, kind of in that Jeremy Jeffress and Will Smith era of the Brewers bullpen when the bullpen kind of kind of carried the team almost. They didn't really have any starting rotation, and their offense was not very good. But it was always a bullpen, at least. That was pretty good. Thornburg was a big part of that. Yeah, that was fun. a fun bullpen. Will Smith, like you said, Tyler Thornburg. And Thornburg was really, really good. Uh, Jeffress, that's right. Jeffress as well. But Thornburg was, was really good. I, I certainly saw why the, the Red Sox wanted to acquire a guy like Thornburg. You have to expect him to be at least a, a very, very good setup man on a good bullpen um, closer on just about any team after the year he had. Certainly was significant disappointment in Boston and has been muddied through the kind of his career certainly hasn't been what I would have expected it to be uh, amongst all the injuries that he's uh, incurred. So hopefully he is able to mount a little bit of a comeback here, uh, have a couple good years, uh, even if it's uh, with the Brewers. I don't know if I'd say rival, but of course, who they who were they who eliminated them last year in the Braves? Hopefully, we don't see them again. But hopefully, he is able to reestablish himself again. Tyler Thornburg, our random player of the day. So, looking forward ahead to next week. Brewers seven games next week, no days off. They've got three games on the road in San Diego against a good Padres team, who's off to a good start. They're twenty-seven and fourteen, good for second place in the National League West. And then a four-game set against none other than Brewers rivals, the St. Louis Cardinals. So seven games all on the road. Again, that four-game series at Bush Stadium should be a pretty good series, um, and that'll help establish two positioning in the National League Central with the Cardinals just three games behind. So, David, any final thoughts here before we go? One guy I think that's flown under the radar in the Brewers bullpen this year. We talked about Trevor Gott before. Boxberger, kind of always unheralded, but another guy that's been having a pretty solid year so far in the pen, Hobie Milner, sidearm lefty, ERA, 3.68. Doesn't get a lot of strikeouts, but limits the walks well. Gets a lot of ground balls, um, and he's someone that that has kind of stepped up in Brent Suter's, um, I don't know if I'd say absence, but Suter hasn't been as effective as he has been in recent years, and having a solid lefty in the middle innings is going to be important for the Brewers. Hobie Milner, not somebody that you would have necessarily expected to fill that role and and fill it pretty well, but he has been pretty solid overall this year in the Brewers' bullpen. Yeah, he is. He he certainly has been. um, Has been kind of an under-the-radar guy out of the pen, and it's helped make up for the lack of success that Brent Suter has had thus far. So 
has been valuable in the pen. We'll see if that can continue from him. Uh, maybe we'll take a, a little bit more of a deep dive on the success that he's had next week. Uh, of course, we'll recap the Brewer series against the Padres and the Cardinals. Uh, continue to see how the Brewers can build their lead in the National League Central as they seek to bring home the first World Series championship to Milwaukee. This is Peter and David Go signing off. As always, go Brewers. Thank you for listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review our show on whichever platform you're listening on. If you enjoyed it, consider supporting us through the link down below. See you next time.